5, verses 38 to 48. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We continue our series this morning on the action verbs in the Gospels. As a matter of fact, if you listen to the reading this morning carefully, you might identify three commands, three commands that could be summarized with one word. What are the three commands? Number one, do not retaliate. Number two, love your enemies. Number three, be perfect. Now, if you're like me and you listened to the reading, your heart sank a bit, didn't it? Oh, no. Not that again. Not that requirement that is too big for me. Not that command that seems impossible. But the command can be summarized with one word, love. Let's consider the first command. Do not retaliate. When you hear the phrase related to eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you think, well, that was once the law of God. It was the law of God that if uh, someone broke your nose, you got to break the other guy's nose, right? If someone struck you, you got to strike the other. And then Jesus walks into the picture and he tells a different story. Actually, when you think of that eye for eye and tooth for tooth, it's helpful to know a bit of the background to that law. It is a law in the Old Testament. It's actually a law that in, in Latin is called lex talionis. It's a law of retributive justice, an eye for eye, a tooth for tooth. But here's the thing about that law that's very important to remember. The law was established primarily for two purposes. The first purpose 
It was a principle of restitution in the courts. It's not exactly the same, but think of what we call compensatory damages in a court nowadays, okay? You compensate for the injustice that you've done to another. There was a second reason for that particular law. That law was written so that excessive retaliatory justice could not be present in Israel. In other words, the law was saying there is such a thing as compensatory damages, but you cannot go beyond this point. You cannot involve yourself in vigilante justice. And even a judge has his limits in terms of punishment. It must be this and no more. Now what has happened with that law? It's clear that Jesus suggests that it's been misused. And the misuse would have been something like this. To take the law of retributive justice and apply it to my own life. That was not the way the law was intended. It was for a legal code for a large society. In other words, the law did not say to you individually, if your friend gets angry at you and strikes you, you can strike him back. Nor did it say you must strike him back. Jesus is saying, in effect, here's the law. Leave it where it is, in the court system. And don't apply that to your so-called personal ethic. Don't apply it in terms of what you might call retaliation. You know, what's also interesting is the law in Leviticus, it actually commands us that you ought not to bear a grudge against a person who has wronged you. You shouldn't take revenge on your neighbors, says the law. Jesus is saying, in effect, this law is for the courts. Don't use it personally. The second statement that Jesus refers to, which is a command, love your enemies, also has a law associated with it. It says, you've heard it said, not only an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but you've heard it said, Love your neighbor or your friends and hate your enemies or those who do you wrong. You've heard that said, said Jesus. Here's the interesting thing about that phrase. That phrase is not in the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't quoting Leviticus when he quoted that. He was quoting a rabbinic tradition that extracted out of Leviticus this kind of code. Jesus was, in effect, saying, the Scriptures don't even say that. The Scriptures do not say, hate your enemies and love your friends only. But the rabbinic tradition apparently did. The rabbinic tradition was frequently debated, right? The rabbinic tradition was, what does this law mean? And then the rabbis would be very argumentative about the, what the law meant. Some rabbinic tradition would say it was this, and some would say it was that. Not unlike an academic classroom now where you debate a particular idea. 
in one of the rabbinic traditions that apparently Jesus was speaking against uh, would go like this. The rabbinic tradition says, place your bread on the grave of the righteous, but give none to the sinners. It was actually written rabbinic tradition. Or this statement, give to the devout, but do not help the sinner. Do good to the humble, but do not give to the ungodly. Hold back bread and do not give it to them. It's probably true that Jesus was speaking against this rabbinic tradition. For those of you who were here last week, I referred to the Essene community, which would have been almost in earshot of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount teaching. This kind of mandate comes from the Essene community. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, I know you've heard it said, these are influential people, you know this tradition, I'm telling you, it's not the proper approach for people in the kingdom of God. It is true in the Old Testament that the nation of Israel is instructed to hate the enemies of God or to oppose them, but it's not for personal animosity. It's so that God's justice may be done. The law actually, believe it or not, the law actually instructed us to help an enemy when the enemy was in need. So Jesus is saying, the law and the prophets are these. Sometimes it's this way, and I want to give you an interpretation. Other times you've heard an interpretation, and you think it's the law, and it's not the law. And here's how I want you to live. Jesus did this over and over again. He was famous for it. But the most difficult part of this second section is what Jesus actually commands. It, it was what Leah was illustrating with children. Jesus says, love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Do good to those who do evil towards you. Should I repeat it in another way? You get the point. And you're probably like me every time you hear it squirming inside. How? There's at least four kinds of love that people in the first century would have been familiar with. One is a, a family kind of love. A love of a child, a mother, a father, a sister, a brother. It just goes deep. As a matter of fact, it's part of the internal conflict we have as parents when we're called to discipline our children. It's hard to do it because we love them so much, right? That's one kind of love they would have been familiar with. Another kind of love they would have been familiar with is an eros love or a passionate sexual love. 
usually associated with passionate love between two people. A third kind of love would have been brotherly love. The kind of love that exists between close friends, very, very dear friends. It's special. So let me say this. I have some very dear friends. Very dear friends. And I love them in this way. But I can't love everybody that way. First of all, I don't have the capacity. Second of all, I don't think it's a good idea. And let me state the obvious. I'll never love all of you as if you were really my flesh and blood. And you'll be grateful to know that I will love all you with eros love. So what is Jesus asking us to do? If those are the kinds of love that would have been right at the front of their mind, he's asking us to do something different, but even more difficult. He's asking us to love in a way that is just as profound as the first three, but not the first three. And is just as profound as the first three, but more profound than the first three. He's calling us to agape love. You've heard the name many times before. What is that kind of love? There's all kinds of descriptions of it. But this week I ran across two phrases that I thought captured in a way I'd never thought of it before. The author said, divine love is unconquerable benevolence. It cannot be conquered. He also said, divine love is invincible goodwill. What is unconquerable benevolence? What is invincible goodwill? We only need to look at the cross. We look at God. The unconquerable benevolence, the invincible goodwill of God says that no matter who you are, or what you've done, or what you've done against me. I have an invincible goodwill toward you. I have an unconquerable benevolence toward you. I will love you so much. I will love you so much that my love will overcome your hatred and your unrighteousness, and your sin. That's the unconquerable benevolence of God. His invincible goodwill. You know what's characteristic of the unconquerable benevolence of God? Everything he does, 
even when it's punishment, even when it seems harsh, everything he does is for the purpose of restoration. Everything he does is for the purpose of bringing you to righteousness, bringing to wholeness in yourself, bringing you to himself. God says, I want you to love your enemy like that. He gives you a bit of an illustration in Jesus' words. He said, you know, the sun and the rain, they come down both on the good and the evil, the righteous and the unrighteous, all for the purpose of unconquerable benevolence and invincible goodwill. Whenever I think of loving one's enemies, my imagination can run wild. I can think to myself, if somebody did this to me or to someone I love, like my wife or my children, I don't think I could ever forgive them. Do you know what I mean? One of my favorite friends in the whole world is David Mensa. And I refer to him often, maybe to the point that you get tired of hearing about him, but I can't help it. David was a young man who grew up in extreme poverty. His father died, and he and his brother were sent away by his mother to be cared for by an uncle. When they arrived, the uncle didn't want them. He didn't have enough food for his own children. And he beat them unmercifully. One story is so gripping that it's hard to believe. David's brother, his name is Joseph. I've met him many times. Joseph had sickle cell anemia. A condition that when it strikes makes you writhe in pain and turn your body inward. Your limbs just can't stretch out. The pain is too great. David said it would make his uncle so angry that he would take his brother Joseph and hang him from a tree by his wrists when everything in his body wanted to turn inward. And he said, when I was just a young boy, I would hurt for my brother so much, I would run into the bush around the tree to try to keep from being seen and watch my brother 
I, I can't imagine that kind of pain. Not just for his brother, but for him. Eventually, as the story goes, David's uncle came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he called David in one time. And he said, David, I have a question for you. Jesus tells us to forgive. Do you forgive me? And David said, I didn't want to forgive him. I wanted to hate him. And he said, I just mouthed the words. My uncle said, I don't think you really forgive me. David said, I knew he was right. David got to the place that he forgave his uncle. You know what the end of the story is? Joseph, the little boy who was tortured by the adults, became a chief in one of the villages, and he too is now a Christian. And when we would gather in Ghana, we didn't sing praise songs from the United States, which would have kind of made my stomach turn, by the way. I don't want to go to Africa and hear American praise songs. I want to hear indigenous praise songs. And we heard them over and over again. Of course, there's, there's no screen. They know them by heart. And then David told me, story of the songs. He said, in the middle of the night, my aged uncle would shout into the night and say, Joseph, Joseph. And the young boy that he formerly abused would come running to his bedside. He'd say, Joseph, I had a dream and I heard this music. And here's the words. Will you please write them down? Joseph would write the words. You guessed it. It's the songs they sing. Love your enemies. Forgive those who use you despitefully. Extend to them unconquerable benevolence and invincible goodwill. You know, when you do that, you get closer to the last part of this section of Scripture, which is the third command. Be perfect. What? Be perfect? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That makes it even more difficult. Be that kind of perfect? We get a problem with perfection, no doubt about it. But one of the reasons I think we have a problem with perfection or the command to be perfect is because we think of perfection in a certain way and we need to rethink what perfection is. 
How do we think of perfection? What we think of perfection is hitting the mark. Like the bullseye. Or getting a perfect grade, which many of you understand. That's not the kind of perfection that God is calling us to through Jesus' words. That perfection, however admirable it may be, is a static form of perfection. You get it. You did it. It's over. And for the most part, you get praise. When Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, he's not talking about a bullseye. He's not talking about a static reality. What he's actually talking about is this. It is really so profoundly simple. Follow your Father. Imitate the one who loves you completely. Extend that kind of benevolence that does not end, that kind of goodwill that is absolutely unconquerable. Do it for others just like God the Father has done it for you and continues to do it for others. Be perfect. Be like your Father. I had a wonderful relationship with my father. And as a child, I wanted nothing more than to be like him. Even to this day, he has qualities that I never was able somehow to possess. But I know what it's like to want to be like my father. Jesus says, be perfect like your father. Here's another way to understand it. Can I do this? It's a Greek word. It's called telos. It means a goal. It means an end. It means a purpose. The highest one. What is the goal, the end, the highest purpose of every... Every single one of your faces that are looking at me right now, what is your telos? It's to reflect the image of God. End of story. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be like God. Thankfully, there's forgiveness when we fall short. When we love like Jesus is suggesting we ought to love, we break the silence or the cycle, I'm sorry, of retaliation and we restore peace. When we offer kindness to our enemy, we purge ourselves of the poison of bitterness. You know, your anger towards your enemy almost never hurts them. It only hurts you. The grace of God is for the righteous and the unrighteous. Be absolutely 
overwhelmingly benevolent, even to your enemies. So the last thing is, how do you do that? I'm not going to launch into a bunch of ideas. Just going to give you one. Just one. It's a takeaway for the whole thing. First, it's a reminder of something you know. It's really hard to pray for someone and still hate them. Isn't it? I mean, really pray for them. So, there it is. I bet you every one of us could pick three people that would roughly be categorized as our enemies. Maybe not because they're trying to kill us. They just don't like us, or that's what we perceive. They make our life difficult. I'm not going to ask you to do what Leah did, pull out little pieces of paper. I certainly wouldn't want to write the names of these people down and let somebody else look at them. But in your memory, make a list of three. Three people that you would categorize as enemies. You just don't like them. Take this week not even suggesting you go beyond this week because I think if you do it this week, it will transform you in some way that you don't expect. So for this week, take those three names and pray for those enemies. And when you do, you will be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Why? Because... The man who uttered these words was the man who was on the cross and looked at those who had nailed him there and said, Father, forgive. Be perfect like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, your forgiveness is overwhelming. Your benevolence is unconquerable. Your goodwill is invincible. And your love. Your love is within us. It needs to be cultivated, Lord, just like anything else does. So this week especially, Lord, help us to cultivate the love that you've placed in our hearts. Help us to love our enemies. Help us to pray for them. And through those prayers, we pray that you will transform them and us by your grace. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.